Coming up on today's episode, we discuss samurai rolling knives, rotten tomatoes, 99-year-old pilots, and we revisit the topic of adventure raising by interviewing Eric Lilstrom, a contestant and captain of Team Eagle Scout on Amazon Prime's Eco Challenge. All that and more on For or Against. Just old friends on the podcast who build a defense on ridiculous topics are you for or against? Discussing random issues, man, the show is immense. So tune in and choose a side that you sit on the fence. Man, we debate a lot of issues, boy, where do we start? Adults who drink milk and self-driving cars. You listening now to For or Against. So turn the volume up, this is For or Against. Hello and welcome to For or Against, a podcast for new friends produced by old friends. I'm your host, Mike McFadden. Joining me today are Robbie Silver, Mike Winan, and Patrick Lothian. Hello, friends. Hey, Mike. Hey. Hey. As we mentioned in the cold opening, towards the end of today's show, we have a special interview with Eric Lilstrom, captain of Team Eagle Scout from Amazon Prime's Eco Challenge Adventure Race television show. This will be the first time that we revisit a topic, having gained insight from someone who actually knows what the hell they're talking about. So stay tuned to see if any of our positions have changed. Before we get to that, it's time for our weekly update. And I would like to start. I'd like to say thank you to Lexi Silver for stepping in last week while I was preparing for the remote school year that many of our nation's children and teachers find themselves in. I'd also like to say thank you to Michael Wyman for playing the role of host last week. You both did a commendable job. Patrick just deleted the next sentence that I was about to say. It was disparaging towards both him and Robbie. And so I think that's why. Yay, Pat. You, Patrick. <laughs> Pat, you are a hero. Glad to have you back, Mike. Thanks for thanks for being back. I can only imagine this school year is going to be a bit of a, a unique one. Um, what I did, I got a haircut, which doesn't sound like much, but it's the first one I got in uh, eight months. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now I look fabulous, as you all can see on the Zoom call. Streaming you professional. do look good. You look Thank real you. good. You look Thank like you. a very attractive man. Hey, yeah, that's the first time anybody's ever said that. So I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Robbie, what's feel, going on with burden. you? <clears throat> I feel a burden because I am the last one to not have gotten a haircut, as you guys so witty, wittedly pointed out when I first got on the call, because I guess I looked like Ted Kaczynski. Or... Yeah, you got the full Unabomber in his Montana cabin. You were just confused going. as to who joined the Zoom call. That was all. <laughs> <laughs> well, besides that, uh, this week, this past weekend was... Lexi's and my five-year wedding anniversary. Congratulations! Five years. <clears throat> and uh, I was there. Day, you I were there. there you were all there, even Pat. <laughs> and for the day, we had our my Lexi's mom and my mom took turns watching our one-year-old daughter, and and Lexi and I had uh, the day to ourselves, which was lovely. We didn't make any specific plans, but we decided to start driving around southern Wisconsin and just kind of seeing the beautiful scenery. And we drove a couple hours away into a very rural town and found a beautiful Uh-oh. secluded lake where nobody was. Sounds was like a beautiful. horror movie. <laughs> well, it's our five-year anniversary. Oh, look at this cabin. It doesn't seem to be anybody in here. <laughs> it kind of turned out that way because oh, no. it, got to, it got to be almost Where's two Lexi? o'clock. Uh, yeah. Lexi has not been heard from in the last week. <laughs> Uh, we, we were really hungry for lunch. We pulled up to this barn grill, which there was nothing around it other than the barn grill and the lake. And we put on our masks and we walk in. We, we, we knew there was an outdoor patio. We actually haven't dined outdoors yet, but we're like, if it's spaced out, maybe we'll consider dining on the patio. If we feel uncomfortable, we'll just take some food to go. No big deal. 
we put our masks on, walk into the front door, and immediately we are in this very small bar with at least 50 people all hanging out just as if it's a normal bar. We are the, literally the only two people wearing masks. And just like out of a movie where the tourists or the foreigners walk into the locals only bar, the, the music, it, the record scratch, <laughs> the music stopped and all 100 eyeballs were just glued to us. And the woman who was directly next to us turned to us. I don't even know if she worked there. She might've. And she just said passive aggressively, can I help you with anything? <laughs> and I think I muttered something about being hungry. And I think she muttered something back about like the power not working. And we just slinked out of there. And that we, we, we went to Taco Bell and that was how we celebrated our anniversary. <laughs> it was so uh, bizarre. A couple it, of I, menu I mean, items to check out. I, I didn't know where I had walked into that. It, literally people were two feet away from each other the entire width of the bar. It's like you went back in time to the year 2020 but in <laughs> March before the 13th. Yeah, March 5th, 2020. March 12th. <laughs> All right. So, I don't well that sounds great. Spend your anniversary. <laughs> I don't know if Wisconsin even has a mask mandate. I know they didn't for at least a really long time because Andrew's living there and he's been very upset about it. They might have finally last month, but I Things not are pretty sure. lax north of the Cheddar Curtain, uh, at least compared to uh, <laughs> us Illinoisans. Um, all right, Patrick, what's going on with you? Um so uh, have you guys ever done Audible? Yeah. Yeah. You're referring to the uh, uh, like a book on tape service? Yes. Yes. So basically you, you pay monthly. Um, the standard plan I think is like $14.95 and you get one book a month plus a couple extras. So basically you're paying $15 to get a book, but it's usually anywhere from $15 to $40. So usually is a, pl- or a good deal. Um, but this last month they added on to any existing plan it's thousands of free books and there's already like 12 that I've put on my list that I would have bought. Uh, so it's wow. like, it's like insane. Like there were two sequels to a series that I'm like, yeah, maybe I'll, I'll get those eventually, but I don't want to pay 15 bucks for them, but now I could just listen to them for free. It was like insane to me. And for, free. for $15 a month. Well, but I, <laughs> they're on top of, so I still get my book every month. So really, that's they're, how they get you. <laughs> um, but they do have a new $5 plan. So if you don't want any credits, you can pay $5 plan or $5 and get all of these books, which is an insane deal. So I just thought that that was pretty crazy. So, so they Audible is now a sponsor of ours. They're not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, are they mostly new books or like, did, did, is it just a coincidence or do, like, do you think most people would find something on the, the free list? I think list? most people would definitely find something on the free list. Um, I mean, I don't think they were, <laughs> well, you get to listen. Oh, that's right. You don't have to read. Yeah. Um, that's why I do it. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I think most people could find something. Um, and I think it's just their way to, to compete more in this world. Like the video game industry is doing it. Now games are usually 60 bucks when they come out. Microsoft has a service, you pay five bucks a month and the day a game comes out, you get it. And it just, that's just what everything seems to be doing is giving you more and more stuff for less, which I enjoy. All that's right. great. 
Thank you very much, Patrick. We'll check that out. Now it's time to play for or against. One of us will present a topic. We will all scrutinize that topic, and then we will each decide if we are for or against that topic. Starting this week, if the four of us end up being uh, for a topic or end up being against a topic, we will play a sound effect in celebration. Now here's Ooh. the deal. I forgot to download a sound effect, so Patrick is going to make up a sound effect if that happens. <laughs> Like with your mouth, this, if all all of us have to agree or disagree, if we all agree, okay. uh, if we're all for or we're all against, Patrick is going to make a sound effect. This is I'm so riveting. excited to hear what I'm, that is. Pat. I'm going to change my answers now. What Pat's got us in store? Our, our yeah, I just put him on the spot, so I don't Michael know if this is anything or not. But here we go. Um, so we're going to start today uh, with uh, Patrick Lothian. We're going to go a little bit out of order. Uh, what? You, oh, I'm not prepared. Us. Well, yeah, you are, because you shared a link with us, and uh, you're going to go second uh, based off the outline. So I think you can handle it. What is your topic for us today, Patrick? <clears throat> My topic is the Samurai 360 circular rolling knife as seen on TV. So this is basically a giant pizza cutter, but meant to cut other things in your kitchen. Besides so, pizza. <laughs> besides pizza. Apparently it is insanely sharp. And uh, so you just roll it up and down, like you get your cutting board out, you put some ingredients down and you roll it up and down the ingredients to cut them. Would anybody like any more information? Okay. Or well, just to, yeah, and go just ahead. In the picture, it looks like you're, hold, you're essentially holding the circular blade in the palm of your hand, as opposed to a normal piece of cutter, which has a handle. In this case, yeah. the handle is like on top of the circular blade. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's also a ring blade. It's not a full disc blade. And so like the handle is is on the ring yeah. or around the you're ring like hold, You're itself. like holding around the blade basically. And there is a trigger for breaking. So if you won't, don't want it to roll anymore, you could pull the trigger and it breaks. Now you shared two links with us. One was for the Samurai T60 and the other was for the Bolo <laughs> rolling knife. Do both have the trigger break? Um, I know the Bolo does. Let me see. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick, what uh, would you like the, to uh, What's the going rate? Today? One question. What is the uh, going uh, cost for these items? Uh, the one I listed before, the Samurai 360, is twenty eight fifty four U.S. U.S. monies. <laughs> U.S. monies. Patrick, who would you like to... Uh, I, I would to... like McFadden to go first because you texted me and said you were uh, very excited about this. Oh, topic. yeah. Okay, so I watched, <laughs> um, like I do with most products that I'm excited about, I will watch uh, YouTube reviews and like the the less professional, the better, because I want to hear you know, what like, you know, the average American thinks about this thing. And... Um, <laughs> The the video that I shared a picture with you guys uh, via text featured a guy that was like holding a cucumber. And so imagine that he's got his thumb on one side and he's got, you know, his four fingers on the other, sort of gripping it as one would a cucumber. And then he's trying to cut with this rolling knife the long way. And he's just going towards the tenon between his thumb and index <laughs> finger. And it just looks like a train wreck in slow motion and... I didn't realize this until literally just now. I went down to the Amazon link. Oh, yeah. The customer images. <laughs> it's just countless pictures of people with stitches all over their hands. 
This is like a lot of stitches. <laughs> yes. And and multiple pictures, different and hands. Like, and like Frankenstein stitches too. Like they're not done well. It's like <laughs> it looks it like, looked he like, like it cut him and he's like, oh, that's bad, but then kept going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like maybe I can fix it if I cut it deeper. And then realized he couldn't. And then realized that all he had was fishing tackle. And so like just tied it together that way. Um, so I'm against this. I don't think that this is an improvement over a traditional, a traditional knife. And like, what I don't understand is like, it's a ring blade. So the handle goes around it. It sort of rotates inside. It would be impossible to not get food on the blade as it rolls that gets sucked up into the handle. So then you're just going to have like rotting. That's just left. Well, the, the handle opens up. That's how this gentleman cut his finger open. So but in the off. video, they put the whole thing just in the dishwasher. Well, like, that, guy who, that guy was trying to cut his hand off <laughs> by your picture. So I don't think he was the smartest one. <laughs> well, okay. That's fair. Um, no, that was, uh, well, I think that was actually in the, because I watched the, the infomercial for it as well. It had like a poor you man's a lot of time in your days. <laughs> it could like be, it could be the difference in between the two. Maybe the samurai one. Could be, could be. I'm up. against this. I don't think that uh, this should belong in the. Uh, it shouldn't. It shouldn't be. This shouldn't be a thing that exists. <laughs> I'm in favor of rotary blades in other applications. I've got a rotary blade uh, to cut fabric. If I'm, you know, cut. If I'm, if I'm sewing, I've got a rotary blade to cut a pizza. It's got a nice handle. I've got, you know, a whole workshop full of power tools that are essentially rotary blades. I'm well versed in cutting with a disc, but this specific application I'm against, it's dangerous. It's not better than a regular knife. Um, it might be really sharp, but it also seemed kind of flimsy. And so it's both like unstable and super sharp, bad combination. I'm against. Okay, Robbie. This is so dumb. Like, who, <laughs> who are the people that see the commercial for this and they're like, oh, that is an improvement over my existing knife collection situations. Like in what, and how are they selling you on this that is more than a pizza cutter? It's not, it's just a pizza cutter. Like they showed, <clears throat> at least in the review you sent me, the woman was trying to cut kiwis and tomatoes and it barely got through there. Like it, it was just, trying so hard the little engine that could not like it just plunked down and couldn't do the job in in that situation i'd probably just go with a regular knife um they might sell you on the advantage that this knife has a break but i've never thought to myself man this cutting is getting really tiring i could sure use a break right now well it also comes with a knuckle guard that you wear on your other hand. <laughs> there in it lies the warning sign. Multiple pieces. <laughs> I, you I know, can't... Robbie, I just, I'd like to play devil's advocate here because it does have the added advantage of being able to cut both forward and backward because it's a wheel. Does that do anything for you? If there was no such thing in this world as a pizza cutter, then absolutely. <laughs> but there is a pizza cutter. I use it to cut pizzas. And this is the dumbest kitchen utensil I've ever seen and dangerous. I'm against. Okay. Wine and what do you think? Uh, so often when I was like in seventh, eighth grade, I didn't have a lot of friends. And, and one of my real friends was, was Emeril Lagasse. And one of the few things he did teach me watching those uh, Emeril live shows is that we often don't use a knife properly where um, particularly like a cleaving action, you should using your own body weight as a, 
as part of the cutting action. So it's not necessarily chop, chop, chopping at things, rocking back and forth. And I think this tool is attempting to get you to do that rather than actually learning how to use a knife properly. So I understand where they're coming from, but uh, Rob is correct. This is so dumb. Uh, it, uh, our, our actual knife used properly will do the job just as well with a rocking motion. Uh, although he said the Sammy Grace was a, was a, a pizza cutter, which is a terrible apparatus and two is stupid. And I'm against it. It's not the right tool. <laughs> You're against the pizza cutter? Yes, I am. It is against it. What is the... I'm going to give you one guess. If the pizza cutter isn't the right tool to cut a pizza with, and and a knife isn't either, what's the right tool? It was invented 1,900 years ago. Are you talking about... You did all at once? Rocky knives that they have at like actual pizza places? Oh, man. Break it down. Scissors. Kitchen shears. Oh, I've I've seen Already been invented. No, anyone who cuts a pizza with anyone who cuts a pizza with kitchen shears is smart and is not a person I want to share a pizza. They're trying to be a TikTok star. No, that's that's the right tool. But that also only works for the right apparatus. That that only works if you have thin pizza, right? Like, what if you have Detroit style or Chicago deep dish? Detroit style style to work. Chicago deep dish. All the rules go out the window. You can eat that with a knife and fork. That's I, we will talk about whether or not that's pizza. I think on another episode. It's a good thing, but it's 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 uh, perhaps not pizza. That's funny. I actually yeah, I just had Lou Malnati's for the first time in a long time the other day, and I have it's it rebirthed new opinions that I have about Chicago deep dish. But we'll get to that another day. Did you did you eat it with a scissors? <laughs> I didn't try that this don't, time. The next don't time knock it before you try it, gentlemen. All right, Patrick. I, just, I guess that's you. What? What? what I you feel like that this? would take too long. Like a roller, you get it done real quick. But no, you scissors, don't because it never goes the way all the way through all the way. You just it's... need to leverage your own body weight. Like uh, <laughs> I believe a friend of mine once told me about uh, the, yeah. a technique that involved that. Yeah. Emerald Legacy. Yeah. yeah, my good old friend Emerald. Patrick, what do you think about your uh, topic here? The Samurai 360 rolling <laughs> death knife. <laughs> <laughs> so I found this because I was looking for topics and I was like, maybe something from uh, as seen on TV. So this is one of their more popular things. And <clears throat> at first I'm like, oh, I could see that like rolling through the cut. And I took a deeper look at it. And the thing that Robbie brought up with the person reviewing it where it's clearly meant for specific items. So like green onions, you have some green onions, perfect to roll through. She took like big round objects and just tried to like- work also. (laughs) Push it through the object. And it's like, what are you doing? She was basically smashing, like taking a potato more or less and just trying to make mashed potatoes out of it with this circular knife. So I didn't know if I wanted to share it, but then like McFadden brought up, the review pictures, oh my God, you guys need to look this up. The Frankenstein stitches. My best, my, my favorite part is, he says, I was trying to disassemble this for the very first time. 12, 12 stitches later, I would not recommend this to anyone. <laughs> 11. <laughs> it's, it's clearly a sharp knife. So if you're going to disassemble it, it's your fault if you grab it at some point. Like, that's on you. I love how the only pictures for this product that's been bought hundreds of times are injury 
pictures. Yeah. Those dramatic <laughs> pictures. I, I also like the product packaging and they, they feature even more prominently than the name of the product, the knife that rolls as if that's somehow <laughs> a feature everybody's been waiting for. Like, yeah. <laughs> I think the only way that it's okay to get hurt by this is if you jam it in your junk drawer. Like that's just asking for a bad accident, which it comes with a nice stand. So you can always have it sitting out on your countertop. Like we this always. is nowhere else for it to go. <laughs> the pride and joy of your kitchen. Ah, the Samurai but, but that, that stand makes it so big that you can't fit it in a drawer because yeah. it doesn't lay flat. Yeah. It would fall out of the stand. We're going to use it product. so often once you get it, Mike. So Pat, are you for or against? <laughs> One Wait, last Pat, thing that I okay. just saw frequently bought together is this and then another curved knife <laughs> who at the same time is going you know what i want this this rolling knife but that's not good enough i want a second different type of knife enough that it becomes frequently bought together that's insane <laughs> and you're talking about the checkered chef mezzaluna chopper yep. it's a rocker knife it is a rocker, a rocker knife. knife all right so four against pat this is this is what we're here to and by the way remember this potentially is for four against if you side with us with the sound effect i think it's pretty clear by what i've said about it that i am very for this product oh <laughs> you liar i am a liar i am against oh we no likey <laughs> no likey is what we're gonna go with all right that's the sound effect <laughs> all right was, we can't use it again though because robbie ruined it he talked in, in the middle of it please i envision you recording this over and over again by please use that it's so good all right. Uh, great. So now we're on to our next topic. We'll see if, we'll see if that's a, a, a feature that we keep in this show or immediately abandon, perhaps even before this show is over. Um, let's go on to Michael Wynan. What do you have for us this evening? Yeah, so uh, a few uh, topics that we've had over the last several weeks. We good? We all right? Are we... <laughs> Robbie's a minute. Uh, maybe we'll mute him. We, we've got a Michael Wine and Potty Break coming up in about five minutes. So. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was so dumb and so funny. Okay. Go ahead, Mike. Okay. Uh, so a lot of our topics or several of our topics over the last few weeks have kind of circled around similar themes, particularly around pop culture and specifically movies. Um, and people are starting to think about going back to the movies. Myself, I I went back to the movies last week. Um, I saw uh, Bill and Ted, which we reviewed uh, in person. Um, uh, I saw that at, uh, at my, in my home, um, and I thought that was quite good. But then I saw the movie Tenant in a movie theater uh, at the Alamo Draft House uh, on uh, Slaughter Lane in Austin, Texas. So they made me feel very safe. And, and Slaughter uh, Lane? Yeah, that's that's. I'm sure something terrible happened <laughs> in the past, <laughs> um, or it was a guy's name, one of the two. But um, they shout out to them; they did a great job um, disinfecting everything. And, and the movie Tenant was pretty good, but it's gotten mixed reviews. And the thing that I did before I went to go see either of those movies was uh, look at Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten mm. Tomatoes is the uh, 800th uh, most popular website in the planet. Um, really for, for one uh, purpose where people go and, and they get a numerical score. They take all the credits, all the critics, rather, their uh, opinions of movies, distill them down and give it a percentage, good or bad. Um, and I've sent you guys a couple of articles that talk about the impact that that's had 
on the movie industry. Uh, and more than once, we've talked about why can't why are movies all the same? Why can't they make movies that are new and unique and different? And some argue that the Rotten Tomato or the Tomato Meter, which is the percentage score, has made that all but impossible. Because if you get a bad tomato score, a bad tomato meter score, your uh, box office will get destroyed and you won't make any money. Um, and so it's actually changing the way that, that uh, that's art has done. But on the other hand, I use it all the time. Uh, it helps me know whether or not I'm going to spend $30 and endanger myself into the COVID world to go see a movie or not. Um, so uh, I had mixed feelings about this one and I wanted to hear what my friends thought. Um, I'm going to start with Patrick Lothian. Um, I have mixed feelings as well. One thing that you pointed out in a pre-talk is <clears throat> that Rotten Tomatoes, it takes positive or negative from each person. So you can have a movie that's like, okay, but everybody says, yeah, it's good. And then it will get 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. So that kind of messes with it a little bit. But I do the oh, same. Actually, sorry, can I chime in? Because I've actually, yeah. I, I use it, but I've never voted. Is it actually binary or do you create your own in-between score? The tomato meter score is just critics. So it's people who are professional movie critics. There's a but how are they score. how are they converting, you know, two thumbs up to four stars to like every different system? So that's Do a proprietary have... <laughs> algorithm, right? They take the, mm. the subjectivity of an of a thousand word review and give it turn it into a score. Um but why not? I know that I'm interrupting your turn, Pat. I'm sorry, I'm just trying to get some clarity. So yes, there are two different scores. There's the critic score, which I know I'm not at all a part of, but you just said there's the audience score. And is, can't people like me just log on and give a yeah, score? Or how does absolutely. That work? But, and is that uh, just a binary yet thumbs up or down? Or can I give like a 48% on a film? I believe it's a thumbs up or down okay. uh, for that. I have voted on So the percentage is an aggregate of all of the binary Correct. decisions from mm -hmm. the audience. Okay. Correct. <clears throat> and I think usually it's, it's pretty good with, if most people think it's at least okay, then it's probably a pretty good movie because critics are pretty strict. Um, I, I've also found times where something gets a really good Rotten Tomato score and I'm surprised and I look back at a review and somebody says like, yeah, that was, it was a fine movie, like nothing good or bad about it. And then it has like a 95% Rotten Tomato score. So it's a little mixed with that, but I like overall that you can't just put out a piece of shit and just have people go to it. Like you have to put some effort into it. The emoji movie. Yes. The emoji movie or anything that, um, oh, what's his name? The guy from Greece, Scientologist. John Travolta, John Travolta has gotten, I think like four zero percent Rotten Tomato scores in a row. Um, so he's we not doing so great. need to see Battlefield Earth then because of that <laughs> um, But I also like, if it's a comedy movie, it's almost like a different spectrum. So like, depending on the type of movie, I need it to get at least a certain Rotten Tomato score, but then a comedy movie is always going to be less than that. So then I kind of try to get like, well, if it's above 50% and then I'll look at the audience score. Cause at that point it's more important. Did normal people enjoy it? So I think it's a useful tool overall. I use it in different ways. The only thing that kind of sucks is like, we won't see a movie. We check Rotten Tomatoes and if it's not good, we won't see it. But sometimes I'll want to see a movie and Amanda will ask what the Rotten Tomato score is. And it's not quite good enough, but I think that it will probably be good. But then it's a no-go because critics said no. 
I, um, so can, I'm going to jump in because I, go for it, given, that, given that there are two scores, the critic score and the audience score, I'm going to throw that critic score out the window every single time. And for one reason, one reason only, Tommy Boy has a 90% audience score. Makes sense to me. The critic score is 42% on Tommy Boy. And yeah, like back to your film. point, back to your point, Pat, like comedies are going to get those lower scores. But at the end of the day, it's about how much do I enjoy spending my 90 to 120 minutes watching this film? And 42% is just laughably, absurdly low. So critic score is so wrong. Well, I think it definitely depends on the type of movie because there are movies that get really high audience scores but are really, really dumb. And maybe well, and, and I guess that's well, that movie. So if I could jump in, the argument there is that they're making less of those movies. Like, when was the last time that, that like <coughs> true comedies have come out in the theaters? There's less and less of them every year because people don't go to them anymore because critics don't like them. All right, so we need to we need to get some for or against on here. We've been going Let's back and forth. Let's go Patrick, back to Patrick. Are you for or against? I am on the edge. I think I'm mostly for. Four. Okay. It's a useful Robbie. Tool. Robert. Okay. So I also had mixed feelings, but the more we're talking through this, I'm I'm starting to firm up my opinion here. So I actually I think if there's a score that gets into the mid or high nineties. It has to be a good movie. Like you're not going to have a mediocre film that gets like a 95%. And so I mentioned this, I think maybe last week or maybe the week before, there is just so much content in the world that we are inundated with every single day between internet and TV and films and so on and so forth that I need some direction to help me wade through every, all my options. And I'm admittedly a very analytical person. So I like numbers to help me guide the way. And this does that for me. I guess yeah, the Rotten thing... Tomatoes is basically what you do for a living. Only, <laughs> <laughs> only for music. You're in the music industry. And that is movies. a very good point. Um, I guess my only question is, I'm just wondering who are these people who are rating? And as you mentioned, I guess it could be anybody, but at the same time, it might be anybody, but people who self-select. Like you need to decide that you're going to be somebody who reviews. And maybe those people who decide I'm going to be a review on Rotten Tomatoes maybe they have a slightly different affinity towards films than the average moviegoer does who wouldn't necessarily vote on Rotten Tomatoes. So I, I wonder if my taste really aligns perfectly with the audience score, but even if it's an imperfect science, it really helps me narrow down because I don't watch that many movies anymore. So I want to make my 90 minutes to two hours count. So I am for Rotten right, Tomatoes. So, so that's two, right. two lukewarm for so far. <laughs> Mike, <laughs> what are your thoughts? Uh, all right. Well, for all of the various reasons that have already been articulated, I, I'm pretty much on board um, in the for argument. I like that uh, you know they're, they're doing the heavy lifting of letting me know whether or not this is something that I want to see or not um, by having both professional movie critics and the audience um, tell me you know what their opinion is. But I just think that there's something fundamentally wrong with tomato meter because the 2001 comedy classic Out Cold uh, featuring, <laughs> featuring uh, Jason London and Lee Majors and a young Zach Galifianakis was given a tomato, re a tomato meter rating of 8%. 
Whereas the audience score was 84%. This is one of my favorite comedy films. And if it's, if it's that broken, if there's that big of a discrepancy, then I think we just need to throw the entire thing away. I am against Rotten Tomatoes for that one movie's uh, giant glaring discrepancy yeah. against. Michael, what do you think? Uh, I, I, uh, I think if, if I hadn't really done the thinking and the digging that I had done over the last week or so, I would have been four and I wouldn't have thought that this was an issue. Um, but uh, understanding that the impact that it has on moviegoers and the number of people who are like, well, it has a bad Rotten Tomatoes score. It hasn't even come out yet. I have no interest in seeing it. Kind of takes the power out of the zeitgeist, if I were to say that. Uh, oh, zeitgeist. <laughs> yes. Uh, it takes the power out of, I think that that like the, the audience score would happen organically. You'd hear about it. Like people talking about it. Like, did you see this movie? Uh, a lot of the things I talk about before, uh, uh, Zoom calls get going or the weather in a move the movies that you saw um, and, and that I think would surface oh these this is a good movie um, let's take the tomato reader out of it it also kind of cheapens what critics do because it says oh you wrote a thousand words but I'm just going to say that you said it was a 61 um, and those two things are incongruent I'm against it I'm not going to look at Rotten Tomatoes anymore whoa all right now it's time for a little break. Four Against is brought to you by Bye Bye Liver, the party card game. Based on the long-running hit play of the same name, Bye Bye Liver, the card game is a mix of classic party games like Would You Rather, Never Have I Ever, and Most Likely Two, as well as some new games straight from the Bye Bye Liver's writer's room. Both the original game and the expansion pack, The Deck Too Far, are available at buybyliver.com. Use promo code FOA at checkout to save 20% on your purchase. We've been asked to play one round of Would You Rather from the game. This week, Patrick will be presenting our dilemma to us. I have one here. Would you rather not have access to the internet or bleed from your ass every time you meet somebody new? Robbie. This is forever for both things? Forever. How much blood? You can choose. Ah, <laughs> oh, like would everyone not have the internet, or only me? Only you. Ah, oh, would it be painful bleeding, or would I just not even feel and just have a little red mark in my underwear? You'd have enough that sometimes it would show through your pants, depending <laughs> on how many people you met. I would wear dark jeans and bleed from my butt. <laughs> Uh, Michael Wynand. I'd, I'd become a, uh, a proud uh, purchaser of the uh, Depends community. Um, would also have an added benefit where I could just pee whenever I wanted. So uh, I, uh, I'm going to be a diaper, <laughs> no. diaper clad man uh, from now on because I, I, I need the internet to exist uh, moving forward. I'm going to call on Michael McFadden and also tell him he is muted. I don't like this uh, specific topic. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to use the internet. What do you want to do, Pat? <laughs> well, this is already kind of my life. I have access you to You bleed from the butt? Not every time I meet somebody, but sometimes doctor. I have. Uh, okay, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> that was a card from the hit card game. <laughs> Bye Bye Liver. Thank you very much to our sponsors for sponsoring our show. Whatever that was. <laughs> <laughs> and we're back. 
Now it's time to move on to our dear friend, Robbie Silver, who will share his topic with us this evening. Okay, so last month, a 99-year-old woman set a record as the world's oldest flight instructor and the world's oldest active pilot. Her name is Rabina Asti. Give her a little shout out. And it's really an inspiring story. Rabina's a listener. (laughs) (laughs) But then it got me thinking, 99-year-old pilot. What an ageist. (laughs) Hey, it's something worth debating. Are we actually for 99-year-old pilots? So I guess I sent you guys links to her story as well as a link about um, uh, – well, actually, let me throw it to somebody, and then I'll get into the second link whenever somebody wants to bring it up. So, uh, Wynan, let's start with you. 99-year-old pilots, are you for or against? Uh, I um, am uh, for, I'll I'll say that – in that uh, being a pilot sounds very cool. It's something I've always wanted to do. Um, who am I to say somebody who's been doing it for years is not qualified to do it, particularly when you can be 99 years old and driving right next to me and swerving in and out of lanes. Um, that seems to me very, very dangerous. Let's take, uh, let's revisit that before we revisit pilots who, who have to follow strict rules. Well, it sounds like you're arguing for both of those things. Like, there shouldn't hey, be 99-year-old well, drivers no, or pilots. because there's a lot more air out there than there is uh, in one lane, right? So I'm all 10, in the sky. 000, at 10,000 feet, uh, you know, I have a friend of mine who's a pilot, and at 10,000 feet, as long as you've, you know, tracked your course with the FAA, it's really anything goes. Um, and uh, it's, um, for in, depending unless you're near a, near a city, uh, the rules to become a pilot and to keep your pilot's license is actually quite difficult. Um, if she's able to fulfill those, uh, I say go for it, uh, but maybe take her driver's license away. I don't know. That's a topic for another day. She needs think- to Uber to the airport to go fly herself somewhere else. I like the idea of like when you turn 90 years old, you automatically have a car that flies through the sky. You are no longer allowed to drive on land, but you can soar through the sky. Mike, talk to your boyfriend, Elon Musk. Get that going. <laughs> All right, it's so Wynand is for 99-year-old pilots. Patrick, let's go to you. I am also for. I would trust her much more than I would trust Robbie flying me. I think That's that fair. would be pretty fair. Um, I, it doesn't, I have no problem with the age. It just comes down to, I don't know all the regulations, but it sounds like, Mike, you're saying that they're pretty strict. As long as they are able to do all of the things that you need to do to fly, Age doesn't really matter to me. I would say it says like at 65 years old, you have to um, retire. Um, yeah, let me let me chime in pilots. on that really quickly. For commercial pilots, if you're oh, okay. flying passengers, there is a mandatory <clears throat> retirement age of 65 years old. It was a few years back, it was actually 60 and they recently raised it because like when you're a pilot, if you're forced to retire, you don't have a job anymore essentially. Yeah. So that's commercial pilots, and and they have that in place for a reason. So, so we press the debate. Well, I think the reason you probably have it is because it's too expensive to make sure that all. Because like for this ninety-nine-year-old woman, every time that she went up to fly, I probably want her to do some sort of test beforehand, like whether that's a vision test or some sort, whatever you whatever abilities you need to fly, 
she probably should take a test every time. Well, so then, <laughs> then why, then why do they need a retirement age for commercial pilot? Like, how about they get rid of that and say anyone can fly as long? As I'd be, I'd tests. be fine with that too. But I'm sure that would cost a lot of money, is what I'm saying, to test every single pilot once they reach that age. And I they also feel... probably don't want to do that. They don't want to insure that. I'm sure insurance. So, so, becomes... Yeah, I want to chime in here because I'm certain that the airline industry has hired um, you know, actuaries to run you know analyses on the risk of death when you reach a certain you know. What are you age related range. to an actuary? I might have a brother who's an actuary. Works <laughs> <laughs> on the pension side, not on the insurance side, but it must be an astronomical fee to um, insure you know, pilots after a certain age. Mm -hmm. And it's not just like a hunch or like a gut feeling, like it's based in data. That's like how they come to these decisions. You know, there's a reason that, um, you know, it costs a lot more money to rent a car if you're under 25. It's because <laughs> you have an underdeveloped prefrontal cortex. <laughs> like you're not fully developed as a human being. When I was in my early twenties, I used to literally set up my laptop and watch movies as I drove long distances. <laughs> I was like, I won't do that anymore. <laughs> Like you know, the insurance what? age, or the, uh, the the actuarial firms that are you know employed by these insurance companies, they're making these decisions based on 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 data. Now, this individual, she might defy the odds, and so like I'm all for her flying, um, but I'm not for her flying anyone else. Like if she wants to go out doing what she loves, then I'm all for it. Like <laughs> what better way to go than to die doing what you love rather than you know withering away in a hospital bed somewhere so if you're 99 and you you knew how to fly at one point then yeah keep flying but don't bring anyone else along with you i'm for her doing it by herself with nobody else and like open country <laughs> but so you want to grandmother her in other... if you will yes, i like grandmother it grandmother her in it's the grandmother clause very good so four very good four so far uh, what is that I a think four? I was more yeah, against. I think that's an against. Uh, more against. You don't want the uh, the other uh, sound effect, do you? <laughs> uh, Robbie, what's your take on this? I, I feel similarly as you, Mike, and to Pat and Wine, and I think you guys have good intentions, but you're living in a fairy tale land <laughs> where. Yeah, you're living in PC culture, you know, uh, land where you're trying not to offend everybody, but you know, at sometimes you just have to make a tough decision and you have to put strict cutoff lines when it comes to the people that you're entrusting to, to defy gravity. But that's not <laughs> what mine's about. Mine's about because it could be a 35 year old who loses the ability to do what they need to do to fly. There's people who live to 120 and are healthier than I am. So I think it just depends on, I don't think it's reasonable to have thousands of 99 year olds flying, but I have no problem with this woman flying. I think that I don't know all the facts, but as long as she's tested and all that stuff, I think it comes down to a, a case by case. Robina is an inspirational woman. Don't get me wrong, but the topic is 99 year old pilots. Wow. And I, I plural, it's not just about her. And I, I think I, I like McFadden's actuarial table situation because that is more about what the main, what it would be for 99 year old pilots in general, right? But then you're and, living in a fairy tale because this is the only 99 year old pilot. There aren't <laughs> of 99 year old pilots. Touche. Well, I think you need to put yourself into a scenario and imagine that you're sitting on a flight as you're about getting ready for takeoff. And you hear over the intercom. She's not a commercial pilot. That's a no, she's not. But if you did have a 99-year-old pilot going, 
Hello, sonnies. <laughs> it's time for lifting off of the ground. Well, we and do have 24-year-old pilots who, in my mind at this point, are infants. And, and there's a co-pilot, and planes basically fly themselves they do. now. <laughs> what if it was a nine? I would actually be more comfortable having Rabina be a commercial airline pilot in like and some of your former students. Then no, but then as a then as a flight instructor in like a tiny two seat Cessna, I will pass on that <laughs> all day, every day. Rabina, you go fly that yourself. I uh, I'm gonna sit this one out. So Robbie, you're you're against? Yes, uh, I'm a big fan of Rabina, and I'm actually for moving the mandatory retirement age for commercial pilots even older, as long as the pass point they actually can pass some some additional tests every year. But 99 year old pilots Man, in general, woman, television, camera, <laughs> camera. <laughs> yeah, I'm against. Looks All like right. we'll split. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that one's gonna stick, uh, but nice attempt. He's going, going rogue on the If it's all knows, it should be the fuck no from last one. <laughs> yeah, just saying that from last one. All right, well, thanks, Robbie. Um, now we'd like to play our interview with Eric Lilstrom, an actual contestant on Amazon Prime's Adventure Race Show, The Eco Challenge. I am joined today by Eric Lilstrom, who, starting August 14th, you can see on Amazon Prime's original video series, Eco Challenge, a 671-kilometer adventure race that took place in Fiji and is hosted by Bear Grylls. Eric, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, I'm happy to be here, Mike. So, Eric, um, I was hoping uh, you could start off by telling um, us, how did you get involved uh, specifically into like this race? I have a pretty extensive history with the Boy Scouts, starting with, you know, I, I was in Boy Scouts ever since I was a Cub Scout. You know, growing up, it was always something that I did. Eventually worked at a summer camp that, you know, actually that we worked at together for, for a number of years. Uh, and worked professionally as a Boy Scout after college for a couple of years. And once I got into polar expeditions and, and things like that, which I do now professionally, uh, the National Scouting Organization kind of took notice and has had me as one of their adventure ambassadors for the last three or four years, I think. Uh, when they were approached by the producers of the show to field a team, they just kind of put it out there like, okay, who, who should we put on the team? And, and my name came up. All right, cool. So, so I, want to, I want to pause there for a second and interrupt if that's okay. So you've been involved in scouting. Um, we, that's how we know each other. Mm -hmm. And um, you uh, worked professionally for the scouts in sort of like administrative roles, like work for a council or something like that. Yeah. Um, but then you started working for um, like a guiding company, correct? That's correct. Okay. And so can you tell us a little bit about that? Give us a little background because I think you're one of the only people that I know who has um, been to the North Pole. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so tell us about that. So yeah, the, the company I work for now is called Polar Explorers. It's based in the Chicago area and we organize and guide polar expeditions. So North Pole, South Pole, across Greenland, Iceland, uh, South Georgia Island, uh, basically, you know, going to all the coldest places that we can find. I've been in this role for the last six years, I think now. Yeah, it is definitely a, a small community of <laughs> of people that guide expeditions to the North Pole. But yeah, who are the people that want to go to the North Pole? It seems like um, from what you've described it, not the most enjoyable <laughs> experience 
in the moment. Now, perhaps looking back, the, the sense of accomplishment, it sounds miserable to me. Am I, <laughs> am I wrong in this? Or I think mean, what's good about it and what, what are the bad parts about it? Well, you know, the, there is a, a term that I like to use called type two fun, which is uh, basically where uh, it might not be super enjoyable in the moment, but you feel really good about it afterwards. And if you look back, I mean, you're like, oh yeah, I definitely do that again. Okay. Uh, and and it can really be enjoyable in the moment if you're well prepared for it, if you know how to listen to your body and make sure that you're eating enough and drinking enough and you, you're able to suffer well. These are all things that I'm not good at. <laughs> um, so you've also done some other um, guiding too, right? You've done sea kayaking? Yeah, the, the, the sister company to Polar Explorers is called the Northwest Passage and uh, we do some international like in-to-in style sea kayaking uh, in the Mediterranean and the Caribbean. Um, those so are sort of an very, very different from a polar expedition. Yeah, that's sort of like are, an interesting juxtaposition, Mediterranean yeah. Sea versus uh, polar exploring. Which do you prefer? Yeah, you, you, you can't even compare. I, I'm not a big fan of cold weather sea kayaking. I don't like having to wear a dry suit or even a wetsuit. You know, I prefer... If I'm kayaking, I want it to be 80 degree water, 80 degree air, uh, and and then it's then it's all golden. But otherwise, a, a set of cross country skis will be just fine. Okay, so, but which do you prefer? If you had to choose, you know, uh, an expedition that you're going on, would you rather oh, do wow. the circumnavigation of Crete, or would you rather, you know, forge across, um, you know, the, the, the North? Pole? Oh, I, I would rather <laughs> I would rather paddle around Crete all day long. You're, you know, you're pulling up on a beach, camping. You don't even have to set up a tent. You can just put down a sleeping pad and and, and sleep. You can, you know, have some local greek wine and uh and some olives and cheese and and just relax yeah, it's it's way more enjoyable than uh, a polar expedition in a very different way but if i had to choose yeah uh, but i imagine it's hard to I pass imagine... up the greek islands okay so just to summarize here you've been involved in these expeditions and so the producers of eco challenge went to the national boy scout organization and you know, said who who might be a good um, ambassador or, or representative of the Boy Scouts of America? Because you captained a team of all Eagle Scouts. Is that correct? Yeah. So uh, of three other Eagle Scouts and one Venture Silver Award, uh, because the team has to be co-ed. So there was one one female on the team, and you know, female. Well, at at that point, you know, she she couldn't have achieved Eagle Scout, which is not something that has changed. But right. she was. She had attained Venturing's highest, uh, highest award. Can you tell us about the um, the race itself? What was the hardest part? And actually, maybe give us a little background. It, t- it takes place in Fiji, right? It takes place in Fiji, and uh, so it, adventure racing has been around for a long time. Uh, you know, completely outside of Eco Challenge, Eco Challenge has been around for a long time as well, televising these really extreme adventure races, um, but. Adventure racing in itself is a, a whole subset that has been going on for a long time that most people have no idea what it is. And it's basically really intense, multi-sport, multi-day adventures that involve usually some sort of boating aspect, some sort of cr- cross-country trekking uh, and mountain biking with some other things thrown in there. It focuses on backcountry off-trail navigating. So you're given a map and there are checkpoints and you have a compass, no GPS, uh, and you have to navigate your way to the checkpoints and the team to do that the fastest wins. And, and this is, this is a, a discipline that is like, th- there are events all over the United States and all over the world every year, but 
they're they're just not very well uh, not very well known in the adventure community. And the Eco Challenge is probably the most public. It's it's the one that has the biggest you know production behind it. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so, um, so so what was the hardest part? You know, how many teams were you up against? What uh, what was the competition so, like? Sixty six teams started the race, and you know, we, I actually had the chance to meet all these teams for you know a week before the race even began. And one of my goals going into it was actually my main goal was to finish the race. There were a lot of super experienced adventure racing, like professional level adventure racing teams competing. And so while I, I like to be competitive and you know that's, that competitive spirit will play into to every team's race, I didn't, uh, I didn't have any illusions about us being able to win because there were, you know, there were teams that had competed in every, sing- every single eco challenge leading up to this one. Oh, wow. And so coming into it, we were basically novices having not done it in any sort of adventure race before even though we had a lot of outdoor and expedition experience. Yeah, I, I think the, the hardest part going into it was not knowing how hard it was going to be. All right. So um, I, I guess I'd want to know, after having competed in this, is this something that you'd want to do again, or is one eco challenge enough? You know, I've been asked this question a lot. Another and way to say this is, how much type two fun did you have? <laughs> <laughs> this was so much harder than I, well, in some ways it was a lot harder than I was, than I was expecting it to be. And in other ways, it wasn't, you know, I was really concerned about, you know, as the captain, as the lead navigator for my team of, you know, most of my practice and and effort training in the beginning was going into navigating. And the navigating aspect was not as difficult as I expected it to be. I think that if I did another eco challenge, you know, if, if I wanted to get into adventure racing, that it would require a big lifestyle change. Because if I did it again, I would want to be more competitive. Like I, I would want to be able to contend for the top places rather than just going in it to finish. That's like being able to compete in Ironman at the highest level. Where I'm at in life is not really something that I'm planning to to put a ton of energy towards. Would I do the experience again? Absolutely. It it opened up whole new doors for me mentally and physically that I, I didn't know were there. Yeah, it, I, it was incredibly valuable. I'm still on the fence whether I would do it again or not. So I guess the, the next thing that I want to know is what is Bear Grylls like? Bear did you Grylls get to is, meet him? <laughs> yeah, actually, we, we, we did meet him a, a couple times, you know, not only before and after, but also on the course. The, there were a couple times where he dropped in and gave us a pep talk because Bear Grylls is very committed to the scouting movement on a international level and so he you know I, I feel like he was was really rooting for us uh and as a novice team you know a, a lot of the the people were rooting for us because i i'm not sure anyone <laughs> expected us to finish <laughs> and, and i won't tell you if we did or not right but um bear grills was a really nice guy you know i I think that I always hoped he was because he's, you know, charming and seems really congenial on TV. And I was really happy to find out that he was very genuine. I'm, I'm glad to hear that because I've, yeah, I've looked what, up to him for a long time. <laughs> you know, he, you know, he, he has the, the camera persona that he puts on, but once he's off camera, he's very easy to connect with and he'll just talk to you like a normal guy. All right. So my second to last question here, this is a big one because in our previous episode, when we were talking about um, adventure racing, one of my co-hosts, Mike Wynan, he felt that uh, the, and to 
falsely quote him, but I'm going to say that this is a quote. <laughs> One of the unifying characteristics of adventure racers um, is that they're all assholes who just want to be on TV. <laughs> In your experience, is Mike's assessment accurate? Why or why not? So you want the, you, you want it straight from the horse's mouth, straight from Eric Lilstrom, the asshole. In the <laughs> Eric, the asshole Lilstrom. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I also was worried about that going into it, you know, knowing that it was going to be televised. I kind of had that same assumption beforehand. And I was also really surprised to find out that, you know, everyone that I met was really there to enjoy the experience. Sure, I'm, 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 I'm sure that that factored, the TV exposure factored into some people's motivations for doing it. But my, my recommendation would be if you want to get on TV, don't do eco challenge. There are a lot easier ways to get on TV and have your 15 seconds of fame. This race and all of the hardship that it entails is not worth it if that's all you're in it for. All right. So last question, um, what adventures do you have planned next? Well, the next big adventure is the, is my firstborn child who will be born in, uh, in late December, early January. Congratulations. Thank you very much. I'm really excited for that. Uh, from from everything I've heard, it's it's quite it's quite an adventure, and so I'm not planning too many other things. <laughs> That's been my experience so far. <laughs> but you know, I, I've been trying to get out around here in the Pacific Northwest, climbing some mountains. Not doing any long trips, but uh, just a couple weeks ago, I climbed Mount Adams and Mount Hood. Um, you know, over the course of four days. And one thing about Eco Challenge is that it, it really changed how I look at backpacking and kind of this expedition type of travel. So I do have some other goals out there like, uh, you know, doing some long distance 90 to 120 mile sections of trail over a, a day and a half or two day period. Wow. The, I think the biggest thing that I learned is that you can go a lot farther than you think that you can. You need a lot less than you think that you need. And so as long as you have water and food and some protective gear, you can just you don't have to stop hiking when it's dark. You can right, keep going just, until just keep going. you're tired and like sit down and sleep for a little while and then get up and just keep going again. Well, that sounds like a lot of type two fun. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, Eric, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we can't wait to watch you later this summer and we will definitely be cheering for you on the Eco Challenge. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Now that we've heard directly from Eric the Asshole Lilstrom, I wanted to see if any of our opinions have changed. I think I was the only one uh, that was for this topic last time. And since Eric was my friend, I don't I feel like for. I gained... Were you for? Okay, yeah. well, we'll come back to you next then. I don't feel like I gained a, a whole lot of uh, new information than I previously had, uh, so I'm still for it. Um, I'd like to go to Robbie and then Patrick and then Michael to round out our episode since, Michael, you were the most against. Robbie. <laughs> I mean, he really came off across as quite an asshole in this interview, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I think we could all tell that to be true. Uh, I hope he still finds that funny. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Uh, <laughs> I actually really enjoyed listening to him. And I honestly, like, I would feel so comfortable having him lead an expedition that I was on. And by the way, He's leading expeditions to the North fucking pole. Like how amazing is that? Uh, it's so badass. Um, and talking about it like it's no big deal. Right. Like only a handful of human beings ever have been there dead or alive. And he's one of them. Uh, the one thing that I wanted to share, and I can't remember if this is the North pole or the South pole. He's been to both um, or, or, or if it's, or if it's both, but one of the poles is literally a sheet of ice that's floating on the ocean. The North and, so, North, yeah. and so 
when you're hiking to the North Pole, <clears throat> there's no landmarks. And this is something that he told me in a separate conversation. And so the only thing that you have to go by is your GPS signal. And so you might walk like 12 miles, like carrying all of your gear in the, the Arctic winds. Um, but the ice might shift 10 miles. So you only net gain two oh, <laughs> or you might lose because it's oh, constantly man. moving. And so uh, I think the fact that that is a real thing makes his journeys even more impressive, at least to me. Oh my gosh, that's wild. Well, I, I, I like the term, what do you got? You call it technical fun? Type McFadden? two fun. Type two fun. Type, type two fun, sorry, that's right. Um, I never have heard of that term before, but I really like it because I, you, like the way you describe it, I know exactly what that means. Like it would be a bitch to hike through the North Pole and it would be so exhausting and I probably wouldn't really enjoy it or appreciate it enough while I'm doing it. But after I'm done, having had done it would have been one of the greatest accomplishments of my life. Putting all that aside, I don't think I'm still that interested in watching this like amazing race style thing on TV and fairness, I haven't seen it yet. I should give it a try, but I am for having a conversation with Eric, the asshole Lilstrom and just like picking his brain. Cause he sounds like super interesting and super humble too. So I'm for Eric. Uh, and, uh, I don't know. I'm still iffy on the actual show. <laughs> All right. Thanks Robbie. Uh, Patrick, uh, you were for, and you've actually watched the entire series. Yes. I, think? well, now I don't remember cause I was for the show, but I was against me doing it. I don't remember right. what the specific topic was. So I guess I was half. I guess it was a split. <laughs> um, I, I thought it was really in interesting and it was a lot of kind of the same kind of feeling that you got from watching the show. Um, going to these different places is insane. I'm sure, I mean, that's, it's, it's crazy because like a lot of people on the show, <clears throat> I know this isn't exactly his interview, but they're like, this is the only way to live. Like this is the only way to experience life. I disagree. <laughs> Like a lot of what they did, I would find miserable. I, I could do like little bits and pieces of it and find joy out of it. But a lot of what they you did. You disagree was, with the premise of type two fun? Like, would you not enjoy it in the moment and still be mad that you did it? <laughs> I, think it I think it depends on the situation because some of, some of the people seemed miserable the whole time and they were just trying to get through and almost were upset like throughout. So I think it just depends on what it does for you afterwards. Yeah, I, don't I guess know. like if you, if you don't finish, cause like a lot of people got kicked yep. out of the race because they uh -huh. didn't meet the checkpoints. And I feel like that type two fund might be tied to the sense of accomplishment. Yes. And so if you don't have that sense of accomplishment, then you're just miserable that whole time and a failure, <laughs> which is not great. On a, um, a slight like, side, real quick side point. Have you guys seen the pictures of the lines backed up on Mount Everest because yeah, it's become yeah. so a lot popular. Of died. Yeah. Like recently, well, just during sad. the COVID era, you mean? Just in no, general. No, just like in right general. Now. It's it be, it's become such a popular thing that there's pictures like going up to the top of Mount Everest that is just like a whole line of people. It's and extremely like, dangerous because you can get oh, yeah. trapped in that line and like more people last year died than any other year. All right, Mike, what did you think about uh, the interview and, and the Eco Challenge now, having heard from somebody firsthand who participated in it? Well, I, I feel slightly vindicated that uh, Eric shared the uh, same fear that I did, that everybody who was on that show was going to be an asshole, just wanted to be on TV. 
but I think he's absolutely right. There are probably far easier ways to accomplish said goal than to do. I have watched an episode of that show and do the things that they uh, <laughs> do on that show. Um, I think it takes a, a, a type of person who is not me uh, to uh, want to uh, go through that type two fun. Uh, so <laughs> uh, I am against it uh, for myself, but I certainly am happy now uh, that that show does exist um, and that uh, other people are doing things that they, uh, they want to do. Um, yeah. And uh, they may be assholes, but uh, <laughs> not because they're doing this show. <laughs> what did you, so you watch an episode? What did you think? I, I enjoyed the concept of the show um, uh-huh. and the conceit of the show. I'm not a huge, um, like I don't watch amazing race or any of those kind of shows. Um, so it probably, it wasn't really my cup of, teaches generally um but um i certainly have a new admiration for them um and people trying to do something uh that um you know most people cannot and there's some there's and and they thought that they could not so there's value in that all right thank you mike and thank you guys for giving it a second shot um thank you eric for being a good sport these past couple of episodes oh gosh Uh, (laughs) <laughs> we, we really quite admire what you've done uh, that just about wraps up this episode of for or against if you're still listening please consider telling a friend about for or against we really enjoy making these shows but we're way more likely to keep making them if someone is actually listening on the other end if you haven't yet please write a review on apple podcasts and connect with us on instagram twitter tiktok and our facebook page at for or against pod thanks for everything just old friends on the podcast, we build a defense On ridiculous topics, are you for or against? Discussing random issues, man, the show is immense So tune in and choose a side that you sit on the fence Man, we debate a lot of issues, boy, where do we start? Adults who drink milk and self-driving cars You listening now to for or against So turn the volume up, this is for or against